Good evening. Welcome to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host, and for the next half hour, we can just think seriously together about some things without arguing. It's a time of the day where we can talk about truth, and you can open the Bible and you can evaluate whether what I said is true or not, and I promise I won't argue with you. We need to have times where we can separate ourselves from the busyness of life and just think. I know some people try and listen to this as they go to sleep and they say that they can't go to sleep because they're thinking. Others, as soon as they hear my voice, they can fall asleep. So I'm not sure how you use these podcasts, but I'm glad that you've decided to join us tonight. I come to you from the studios here at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. Today I've been thinking about how disgusting it is to live in a country that's redefining life and redefining right and redefining wrong. How sad I am to watch our country go down this path. I think that so often we forget the simplicity that God created life to embrace. And we make things very complicated. Life shouldn't be complicated. In the beginning, God created, and he created man and woman, and he created family. And the idea of family is God's. One man, one woman, committed to each other for life. They're not in an arrangement together. They're committed to each other for life. And that's what's special about it. People are not to have any sexual activity before they're married and no extra sexual activity while they're married. They're to be committed to their spouse for life. And that's the way God designed it. Now when that happens, when children are conceived, they're wanted, and they're coming into a stable situation where a home has been established by a husband and a wife who are committed to each other, and obviously going to be committed to the well-being of that child. As I look at where our nation is, as they argue about abortion, as they talk about wanting to kill their babies, it's alarming to me. I was listening to a speech by our vice president at a funeral she was at, and she was talking about the tragedy of a mother losing a child, and this happened to be in a police brutality case. And I would agree that that would be a tragedy. But I kept thinking that she promotes abortion where mothers take their children's lives and she says that's right and that's, that's a mother's right to be able to kill their own child. I just never thought I would live in a nation where we would be talking about killing babies as a right. That sounds so pagan and so evil and so wrong. The only way anyone can justify anything is by redefining what life is. Redefining what murder is. Deuteronomy 5.17 tells us you shall not murder. There is no provision for murder in the Bible. Those who murder are doing something heinous, something evil. They're taking all the potential of a life and deciding it's not worth having. I know some people think, well, that life wasn't planned, so I need to do something. Well, you shouldn't have sexual relations with another person 
unless you're committed to that person in marriage for life. I was reading an article about a U.S. actress, and I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce her name right, but I'm going to read it from you. It's from a column in the Daily Beast. It says it's about Milana Vanitrub, if I got that right. This is Us actress Milana Vanitrub describes aborting her unborn baby as a beautifully boring experience in a new column at the Daily Beast. The television actress said she decided to share the details of her abortion story because she wants America to understand the difficulties of pregnancy and parenthood and the need for abortion. Notable news outlets like Daily Beast rarely, if ever, allow mothers who regret abortions or choose life in difficult circumstances to share their stories. For so many reasons, I am grateful for the beautifully boring abortion I had and the essential health care I received, Benetrub wrote. I'm haunted by the prospect of what we will stand to lose if the U.S. Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade. Ten years ago, she had an abortion after accidentally missing a day or two of birth control. Just out of college, she was living with her boyfriend at the time, and their financial situation was unstable. Now, once again, I would go to God's word and say they shouldn't have been living together. They shouldn't have been having sexual relations together because that's how you make children. And if you don't want to make babies, then you don't do that. But what we want to do is we want to be able to do things in our life that we enjoy doing and not pay the price for it. We don't want to go on a diet and exercise to lose weight. We just want a pill to do it. We want to eat whatever we want and still lose weight and look fantastic and feel great. That's not how it works. She goes on to say, we were doing whatever it took to get by. I was taking random babysitting jobs, working at a smoothie shop and performing improv in tiny L.A. theaters, as often as anyone would allow me on stage, she remembered. After taking a pregnancy test, Vanitrub, if I got that right, immediately knew that the right thing to do was to abort her unborn baby. She said she did not agonize about the decision. Her strong moral compass told her not to bring a child into the world that I did not want and could not care for. Her strong moral compass. Do we actually apply moral compasses to one area while ignoring another? Is there no moral compass when it comes to sleeping around, but there's a moral compass if you get pregnant and it would be inconvenient? When is it that we define people as inconvenient? Can we define people who struggle with emotional abilities inconvenient? Can we can we describe people who are elderly and no longer can work and support themselves? Can they be inconvenient? Can we redefine people so that when they're murdered, it's no longer murder? It's actually justifiable? I don't think we can ever do that. She goes on to say, aborting her unborn baby was no big deal. She said it was straightforward procedure in her doctor's office. Over the past decade, I've hardly thought about my abortion except 
when I think of those who may not have access to one. She continued, arguing that aborting an unborn baby should be a protected right. Vanitrub slammed the pro-life laws as racist and classics, classist, claiming pro-life advocates really just want to control women. She urged U.S. Congress to pass the Women's Health Protection Act, a deceptively named bill that would legalize the killing of unborn babies for basically any reason up to birth and force taxpayers to pay for the abortions. In 2020, she said, she became a mother after a very painful traumatic labor and birth experience. She said the horrific pain that she experienced giving birth to her child made her even more adamant about supporting abortion. Boy, you know, the mothers I've talked to certainly experienced that kind of pain. But there was tremendous joy in the process because of the birth of a child, the life that that God created inside of them. She goes on to say, I know now how hard it is to carry a bowling ball-sized human to full term, she said. I know the back-breaking will it takes to give birth to a baby. I know the toll of sleepless nights on a torn body and the necessity of support, the pause it puts in your career relationships and goals. I cannot fathom the cruelty of enduring all this plus a lifetime of child-rearing if you don't want it. Well, she should think about that before getting involved sexually with somebody. You see, murdering children is still an evil, unthinkable thing to do. And just redefining it so that child isn't a child until you give it the label isn't something that's going to change the fact that that child was murdered. When we look at the scriptures, we see in Isaiah 1.21, it says, How the faithful city has become a whore, she who is full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Have the mothers of our nation gathered together to want to become murderers? Have, I shouldn't say mothers. Have the ladies of our nation gathered together to try and protect the right to murder children? I can't think of anything more disgusting or barbaric in my mind. Now, we can change the definition. We can get together with all kinds of people who believe like we believe and define things the way we want them defined. But the truth of the matter is, when a child is conceived inside of that womb, the only way to stop it is either have it born or to have it killed in the womb. Because that child is a human. In Hosea 4, 1-3, it says, The Lord here accuses Israel, says, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. 
God says in Hosea, there's a warning here. There's no faithfulness. There's no love. There's no knowledge of God. In fact, the byproduct of that is there's swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. Murder and committing adultery are listed as some of the byproducts of ignoring and not knowing God. God didn't create this world so that we could be self-centered individuals who are willing to murder people who make our lives inconvenient. Murder is always going to be an evil. Matthew 5.21 You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. Think all of those who have murdered children will stand before God for that. They're going to have to give an account for the fact that they didn't listen to God and didn't want to. You might be one who's listening who did have an abortion who has realized that you shouldn't have. God is merciful and gracious. You go to him and talk to him and he can heal you. Every single person that's ever walked on the planet apart from Jesus is sinful and God's mercy and grace is available to all of us. That shouldn't hold you back from loving God. In fact, you should be like the Apostle Paul who screams from the mountaintops. The mercy and grace of God is abundant. We can't do anything about yesterday. Feeling guilty about it isn't going to solve any problems. We can embrace the mercy and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and move forward. God tells us that life is precious, that marriage is precious, that children who are formed inside their mother are precious. We should take his word for it and listen to him. If not, we're going to have people who are anxious, lacking peace, trying to justify being self-centered even if it costs somebody else their life. Psalm 139, 13-17 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! And in Jeremiah 1, verse 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. As I read through the Bible, it doesn't sound like God is calling children who are in the womb blobs of protoplasm. It doesn't sound like God is talking about this as a medical procedure. When two people come together and a child is conceived, that child is being formed in that womb by God. And murder stops a life. 
It stops the potential of a life. It stops the ability of that person to live in this world and experience what you and I have in the mercy and the grace of God and develop into the people that God intended them to be. Murder is still murder. No matter what a culture calls it and no matter how we want to make it acceptable. In fact, I would even call it a a hate crime in a way. They didn't want to be pregnant. This child will ruin their lifestyle, so they hate the idea of that child. And the only way to really rectify the situation is to murder the child. I just cannot fathom the idea of a nation debating the idea of baby killers and trying to call them okay. That's where I think our nation is gone, and it does break my heart. Of course, redefining things is what people do to justify whatever they do. The Bible tells us we shouldn't be greedy people, so most of us aren't because we define greed so that it doesn't define us. Jesus goes through, and in the Sermon on the Mount, even talks about how when you hate somebody, it's like murder. So you could be thinking that, well, Dave is getting on those who commit abortions. Well, any sin is going to destroy my life and our life and the experience that God wants to give us in this world. This world isn't our final stop. Our final stop is going to be for eternity with him. And those who ignore God in this life will be sorry they did. And those who murdered children will be sorry they did. But redefining things is an old practice. We can redefine the word love if you want to make sure that it fits whatever you do. You can redefine, again, the word generous or greed and make sure that whatever your definition is, your life fits it already. So you don't have to deal with it. I was reading another article, and it was talking about um, the Church of England and how they're reconsidering calling God a he. In other words, they want to change the gender of God. Well, let me read the article to you. It's from Reuters. It says, The Church of England will look into the use of gender-neutral terms to refer to God in prayers. But the centuries-old institution said on Wednesday there is no plans to abolish current services. The issue reflects growing global awareness about the assumed usage of the pronoun causing offense or upset to those who do not identify with the gender they were assigned at birth. Christians have recognized since ancient times that God is neither male nor female, a spokesman for the church said. Yet the variety of ways of addressing and describing God found in the scripture has not always been reflected in our worship. Talk TV said the Church of England is considering alternatives to referring to God as he after priests asked to use gender-neutral terms. That was on Twitter. Town Hall reported that now in one church, the Lord's Prayer could soon be passé as the push towards general neutral language goes beyond the ivory towers, government buildings, and healthcare systems. That's from the town hall. 
Well, I encourage you, if you ever have a question about a biblical topic, to go to gotquestions.org. And I did that, and I typed in some things, and some of the readings I have coming up came from gotquestions.org, and I do highly recommend that website for any questions you might have. I typed in, is God male or female? And here's some of the answer. In examining scripture, two facts become clear. First, God is a spirit and does not possess human characteristics or limitations. Second, all the evidence contained in scripture agree that God revealed himself to mankind in a male form. To begin, God's true nature needs to be understood. God is a person, obviously, because God exhibits all the characteristics of personhood. God is a mind, a will, an intellect, and emotions. God communicates, and he has relationships, and God's personal actions are evidenced throughout Scripture. GodQuestions.org goes on to say, as John 4.24 states, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Since God is a spiritual being, he does not possess physical human characteristics. However, sometimes figurative language used in Scripture assigns human characteristics to God in order to make it possible for man to understand anthropomorphism. That simply means for God, a spiritual being, to communicate truth about his nature to humanity, physical beings. Since humanity is a physical, we are limited in our understanding of those things beyond physical realm. Therefore, these type of illustrations in Scripture help us to understand who God is. Some of the difficulty comes in examining the fact that humanity is created in God's image. Genesis 1, to 27 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created him. Both man and woman are created in the image of God and that they are greater than all the other creations as they, like God, have a mind, will, intellect, emotions, and moral capacity. Animals do not possess a moral capacity and do not possess an immaterial component like humanity does. The image of God is the spiritual component that humanity alone possesses. God created humanity to have a relationship with him. Humanity is the only creation designed for that purpose. Again, questions.org goes on and says, That said, man and women are only patterned after the image of God. They are not tiny copies of God. The fact that they are men and women does not require God to have male and female features. Remember, being made in the image of God has nothing to do with the physical characteristics. We know that God is a spiritual being and does not possess physical characteristics. This does not limit, however, how God may choose to reveal himself to humanity. Scripture contains all the revelation God gave to humanity about himself. And so, it is the only objective source on, uh, on information about God. In looking at what Scripture tells us, there are several observations of evidence about 
the form in which God revealed himself to humanity. Scripture contains about approximately 170 references to God as Father. By necessity, one cannot be a father unless one is male. If God chosen to be revealed to man in a female form, then the word mother would have occurred in these places, not father. In the Old and New Testaments, masculine pronouns are used over and over again in reference to God. Jesus Christ referred to God as Father several times and in other cases used masculine pronouns in reference to God. In the Gospels alone, Christ uses the term Father in direct reference to God nearly 160 times. Of particular interest is Christ's statement in John 10.30, I and the Father are one. Obviously, Jesus Christ came in the form of a human man to die on the cross as payment for the sins of the world. Like God the Father, Jesus was revealed to humanity in male form. Scripture records numerous other instances where Christ utilized masculine nouns and pronouns in reference to God. The New Testament epistles from Acts to Revelation also contain nearly 900 verses where the word theos, a masculine noun in the Greek, is used in direct reference to God. In countless references to God in Scripture, there is clearly a consistent pattern of his being referred to with a masculine title nouns and pronouns. While God is not a man, he chose a masculine form to order to reveal himself to humanity. Likewise, Jesus Christ, who is constantly referred to with masculine titles, nouns, and pronouns, took a male form while he walked the earth. The prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles of the New Testament refer to both God and Jesus Christ with masculine names and titles. God chose to be revealed in this form in order for man to more easily grasp who he is. While God makes allowances in order to help us understand him, it's important to try not to force God into a box, so to speak by placing limitations on him that are not appropriate to his nature. Now, I have read that from GodQuestions.org. And once again, I'm not sponsored by them and I'm not uh, representing them. But I would love for you to put this app on your phone or on your iPad. I'm not sure what they have for a computer. But when you have a question about the Bible, GodQuestions.org is a great place to go and review what's being said by people who actually love God and want to help you understand who God is. Now, I would suggest that the Church of England reconsider what they're trying to do. So often we're trying to relate to some people who don't even know God. For some reason, we have trouble understanding that different isn't bad, that men are made as men and women are made as women, and they're different from one another, that God made women to have babies and men not to have babies, and that God doesn't make any mistakes. That in the beginning he made male and female and intentionally made them different. For some reason we have given different meanings that make one more important than the other. Moms are not more important than dads, and dads are not more important than moms. And yes, a healthy family will consist of a mom and a dad 
and children. I'm not saying that you can't have a healthy family experience if one of your spouses has died or you made some mistakes and you're now divorced. You can still work towards getting the influences in your children's life that are necessary for them to be healthy. But God's original plan was for that one man and one woman would be committed to each other for life. And we talked about that at the beginning of this program. And that God, throughout all of the Bible, is always referred to as a male, as a heavenly father. It's not a good thing to go and redefine terms to fit what we want them to say. And that's probably the whole point of our discussion tonight. Murder is still murder. Sexual contact should be limited to those who are committed to each other in the bond of marriage. And God is masculine in how he's revealed in scripture. That doesn't demean any women. What it does is say that God is masculine as he's revealed in scripture. And we really should leave the definitions as they are and adjust our life according to truth and not adjust the truth according to our life or we'll be in trouble. Once again, I'm Dave Wager here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. Good night for now.